0: This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 365.
1: This podcast is brought to you by UCAN. Their patented ingredient, Superstarch, has the amazing ability to provide a steady release of energy while you run or work out. It helps keep your hunger in check. Just go to UCAN.co. Use the code Challenge to get 20% off. That's UCAN.co and use Challenge for 20% off.
0: This podcast is brought to you by MetPro. You can speak with a metabolic expert to review your current habits, discuss your lifestyle needs, and receive actionable steps towards achieving your goals, whether it's to lose weight, dial in your nutrition, or change your body composition. Go to metpro.co forward slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA.
1: Hello and welcome to the MTA Podcast, where it's all about helping you go the distance. I'm Trevor.
0: And I'm Angie.
1: We've got an exciting episode for you. We're going to recap the Boston Marathon, which Angie was able to run. We have some sound bites, and we'll tell you some history of the Boston Marathon, all kinds of good stuff. Don't forget, inside the Academy, you can find all of our training plans and premium content for our members. Find out how to join when you visit marathontrainingacademy.com. All right, so interestingly, this year... Boston Marathon was in the fall, and it was actually just one day after the Chicago Marathon, and there were some people who did both races back-to-back. I mean, did Chicago and then flew to Boston and did Boston the next day.
0: That's right. Yeah, there were some people who did that very challenging double, both physically and... Logistically. Logistically, yes. Just getting across... Um, the country, and the Chicago Marathon was very hot and humid this year, so it was challenging conditions, but they still had approximately 26,000 finishers. We've also been following Shalane Flanagan's journey in her attempt to run all six of the World Marathon majors in under three hours, and she finished Chicago in two hours, 46 minutes, and 39 seconds, and Boston in two hours, 40 minutes, and 34 seconds. Um, She wrote that Monday, the Boston Marathon was her favorite marathon yet. She says, I grew up here. I've run the Boston Marathon five times, but I've never loved it more than I did this morning. Today was my best Boston by far. She wrote that she was a little nervous after running Chicago just 24 hours before. She said, I was in foreign territory and had no idea how my body was going to react. If we're being honest, I was prepared to implode. But midway through the race, Flanagan said she turned to her running partner and remarked that she felt better than Sunday, in part due to the crowd support.
1: That's cool. Well, there's so much to love about the Boston Marathon. This was the 125th year oldest marathon race in the world outside of the Olympic Marathon. And Angie got to do it. We're going to hear all about it. Before we do that, we got some kudos we want to send out to folks in the community who are doing awesome things. So just going to read a few emails here that we uh, received recently.
0: This note comes from Tammy, who's an MTA member. She says, Wine Glass Marathon 2021 and my first marathon in the books. Goal was under five hours, and I finished in four hours, 37 minutes, and 59 seconds. I'm exhausted, but nothing compares to how awesome it feels to have done it. I can't thank Angie and Trevor enough for the training plan and podcast support. I did the hard thing.
1: Well, we always love to hear about people running the first marathon. That was the Wine Glass Marathon in Corning, New York. Congrats, Tammy. Hope you can use your momentum now to just keep it going.
0: This note comes from Chim, also an Academy member. He says, I completed my virtual Boston Marathon here in Cambodia. Thanks, MTA, for the 16-week training plan. I shaved nearly 33 minutes off my Cambodian Marathon time by finishing in 3 hours, 28 minutes, and 44 seconds. So I'm pretty excited about
1: it. (laughs) That's fantastic. Wow. Thank you for sending that note in.
0: And this comes from Beck. He says, I just ran marathon number five at the Hudson Mohawk River Valley. It's been a rough training cycle with injuries and illness. And I went into this underprepared and very unsure what I could do. I felt great and on track for my A-goal until mile 22.8, and then I spent the next 3.4 miles puking, walking, and slogging due to not practicing my nutrition plan. Wow. I still finished in 3 hours and 20 minutes, not my best time, but not my worst, and I feel so grateful to have crossed a finish line after the trials of the last year and a half. It feels amazing to remind myself that I am a marathoner. I also had the honor of watching my wife Emily finish her first marathon in 4.07, so a good day all around. Thanks to Coach Steve for working with me through the chaos and rewriting my training plan practically weekly. I certainly kept you on your toes this go around.
1: That comes from Beck, uh, who's one of our coaching clients. Congrats on finishing marathon number five. Hate to hear about the nausea, but man, he still finished in 320.
0: Yeah, he did amazing despite all (laughs) those challenges. (laughs) That's incredible. And this email comes from Emily. She says, Dear MTA, I've been listening to the podcast for about five years now, always inspired by the recaps and never really thought that I could be a success story due to the fact that training for a 10K or even a 5K would always end up with me developing some sort of injury. I always wanted to be a runner, but I was never consistent enough. I would get discouraged, then come back to it every few months. After many failed attempts at trying to train on my own, I bit the bullet and contacted MTA for help. Now today, I am proud to say that I am a success story. I wanted to express my gratitude for having me paired with MTA coach Antonio to help me get through my first marathon. I was able to show up and successfully complete the 2021 Chicago Marathon injury-free. He drew up a training plan that was suitable for me. It was not overwhelming and he really built my confidence up that made me truly believe that I can do hard things. Running the Chicago Marathon has truly changed my life. I can't wait to see what else I can accomplish." <laughs>
1: Man, that is so awesome. Just getting an email like that just puts a huge smile on our faces. and
0: Yeah, it's really what MTA is all about. That's why we created the podcast and the training plans and the coaching and everything. It's so that, you know, we can just help people successfully take on the marathon. And we're just so, so excited for Emily and her success.
1: So congrats, Emily, on conquering your first marathon there in Chicago. And keep up the great work. Well on my way. All right, well, let's do one of our race recaps here. This is a big one, the Boston Marathon. It's quite a journey, Angie, for you just to even get into this race. There's a long story. It goes back probably to to 2018, but it finally builds to this moment where you were there back at the Boston Marathon course. Happened to be the 125th year of Boston. So let's tell people about the Boston Marathon. And before we jump into your experience running it, let's give folks a little bit of history.
0: Yeah, that's right. They give out this really cool official race program. And part of it is just details the very storied history of the Boston Marathon. So I kind of wanted to take our listeners through the progression of how Boston has changed uh, through the years because I think it really gives you a deeper sense of how meaningful this marathon is. So the Boston Athletic Association, which puts on the Boston Marathon, was established back in 1887, and running was not front and center in the very beginning. The club held its first organized track and field competition in 1890, And the association chose a mythical unicorn as its symbol, which remains on the Boston Marathon medals to this day. But no one really knows why the unicorn was chosen as the symbol. (laughs) The first running of the Boston Marathon was in 1897. It was then called the American Marathon and had 15 starters and 10 finishers. Spiridon Lewis was the first winner, a Greek runner. In the beginning, the course was not the traditional 26.2 miles. Instead it ran from the town of Ashland to Boston for a total of 24.5 miles. The 26.2 mile distance was standardized in 1924 to comply with the Olympic marathon distance and so to reflect that the starting line was shifted to the town of Hopkinton where it remains to this day. The term Heartbreak Hill was coined in 1936 And the hill got its name when Johnny Kelly passed Ellison Brown on the Newton Hills and he patted him on the back out of respect. Well, this action stirred Brown's competitive spirit and he surged ahead of Kelly to win by nearly two minutes. So in other words, he broke Kelly's heart. Fast forward to 1966, Bobby Gibb bandited the race and became the first woman to complete the Boston course. The next year in 1967, Catherine Switzer entered under the name K.V. Switzer, and got an official bib because they didn't know she was female. Jock Semple, a race official, tried to force her off the course, but she went on to finish in 4 hours, 20 minutes, and 2 seconds. Her bib, number 261, has been retired, and she became a pioneer in the women's running movement. 1970 was the first year that qualifying standards were put in place to help cap field size, which had reached over a 1,000 runners, which seems tiny by today's standards. The qualifying time was four hours for that first year, but it changed to 3.30 in 1971, and then stayed at that until 1976 when different qualifying times for men and women were introduced. So in 1976, men ages 19 to 39 had to run a three hour qualifying time, and 40 plus had to run a 3.30 time. All women, strangely, had to run a 3.05, which seems very (laughs) fast. Wow. (laughs) I would definitely not have qualified if that was still the case. In 1975, the wheelchair division was first created, and Bob Hall became the first official participant, finishing in two hours and 58 minutes. And this is in a regular wheelchair, not one of those racing chairs they have nowadays. So it's just an incredible feat. In 1975, Boston based Bill Rogers won and set a course record of two hours, nine minutes, and 55 seconds. He went on to win four times over the years. During this record time, he stopped five times once to tie his shoe and four times for water. And that was kind of back in the day where there wasn't really like, the aid stations weren't as regular and you know people didn't really stop to take in nutrition and water. In 1979, Joan Benoit set an American and course record with a time of two hours, 35 minutes and 15 seconds. This win set the stage for her to win in the inaugural Women's Olympic Marathon. In 1988, Ibrahim Hussein of Kenya won in two hours, eight minutes, and 43 seconds, and that started an era which brought dominance by East African runners. In 2011, Jeffrey Mutai of Kenya set a course record of two hours, three minutes, and two seconds, and he really sparked a new era of speed in the marathon. Uh, Ryan Hall ran the same race and finished in two hours, five minutes, and 58 seconds, becoming the fastest American marathon in history at the time. Although the Boston course does not officially count for world records due to its net downhill and point-to-point nature. And then, of course, we know in 2013 tragedy struck when two explosions went off in the final stretch of Boylston Street. Five people died and many were injured. And runners and citizens really came together to celebrate the strength and resilience of the community. The term Boston Strong exemplifies the determination to prevail and get stronger through adversity. In 2014, the Boston Marathon came back strong, and American man, Meb Kufleski ran away with the win. He was the first American man to win since 1983. 2018 was a year that stands out for record cold and wet temperatures, runners' face driving rain, howling wind, and just freezing cold. Des Linden toughed it out to become the first American woman to win since 1985. And of course, 2020 was the first year where the Boston Marathon was completely virtual, And had 16,183 participants from 90 countries in all 50 states. But this was not the first time there have been virtual editions of the Boston Marathon. Since 2005, thousands of U.S. Armed Forces personnel who are stationed overseas have participated in shadow versions of the Boston Marathon. And there has actually also been a Boston Marathon run in space. In 2007, astronaut Sunita Williams ran 26.2 strapped into a specially designed treadmill in the International Space Station. She has finished Boston three times, twice on land in 2008 and 2009.
1: Twice on land and once in space. That's right. Who can say that? <laughs> so, a little fun facts for you. Now, here are some unique aspects from this year's Boston Marathon. Angie wants to read real quick. So 2021 was definitely a different year.
0: Yes. As we've mentioned, the date was changed to the fall, October 11th, 2021. It was a full 910 days after the last Boston Marathon, which was held in 2019. The marathon also shared its race date with Indigenous Peoples Day. And among the most notable runners in race history is Ellison Brown of the Narragansett tribe, we've mentioned him earlier. He won the marathon in 1936 and 1939, and of course famously played a key role in how Heartbreak Hill got its name. The field size was also reduced by 33%, although there were the same number of charity bibs, 2,090. In-person runners totaled 20,000, although I'm thinking that not everyone came and ran because there were only 15,448 finishers. And they had 27,000 virtual Boston runners this year. And one of the traditions is that the marathon always shares a date with a Boston Red Sox game held at Fenway Park. And even though we're in October, they shared a game. There was a game on both Sunday and Monday uh, because there is a playoff going on.
1: And the Red Sox happened to win both games, the first game into overtime. Exciting couple days to be in Boston.
0: That's right.
1: So we actually drove up to the Boston Marathon. It's about a seven-hour drive from where we live in Pennsylvania, and our head coach, Coach Nicole Hart, uh, also came with us. She was a huge help organizing the meetup.
0: She'd also run her virtual Boston the day before we drove up.
1: That's right. (laughs) Yep, so we got into town Saturday, and then we hit the expo on Sunday and then had our MTA meetup. We had around 40 people there at the meetup. Got a few sound bites. It was at an Italian restaurant, pretty close to the finish line. Let me play that for you right now. Check, check, check. Okay, we're coming out here where it's a little bit quieter. I'm here with Letty. What's your last name? Lenquist. You're also a podcaster because I was on your episode. Can you tell people about your podcast?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, it's the Marathon Running Podcast, and you guys were amazing guests on there.
1: Thank you for having us. So, any goals or uh, hopes for tomorrow?
0: No, just finishing soaking it up. I just did Berlin a couple weeks oh, ago, yes. so this is kind of a victory lap, so super excited for it.
1: And how did it go in Berlin?
0: 318, so it went wow. pretty well.
1: How fast did you have to run in order to qualify?
0: I needed a, I think, 335.
1: Okay. So. And you're so far under that?
0: I am, yeah. It's kind of nice to age Whatever into you that. Whatever you're doing is working. It is. <laughs> I live in Florida. I train in humidity, okay. so that might help a little bit. Not for the hills, but for Berlin yeah. for sure.
1: Okay, I'm here with Debbie Gelber from Texas. Debbie, this is marathon number what for you?
0: Number 39.
1: Angie, you coached her for a while, right? Yes. You have Angie here as well. How does it feel to see Debbie like go out and just crush it?
0: Oh, I love it. It's, it's better than being able to crush it yourself, I think, when you see a yeah. coaching client to have a great experience. And I feel like I've known Debbie for years now, but the first time meeting her in person, so it's really special. And Angie coached me to my first BQ.
1: And what, what year was that?
0: 2016.
1: Well, good luck out there tomorrow. Thank you. I'm sure you will make it to the finish line, having done it 39 times before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, and it's great to
2: meet you both in person.
1: Okay, I'm here with Todd at the MTA meetup. Todd, where are you from?
3: Rockville, Maryland.
1: What did you have to run in order to qualify to get into this race? I
3: ran 320.
1: Wow. Uh, I, I'm guessing, I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing that's way under what you need to run, huh?
3: I'm 58. So that's yeah, fast. A pretty big cushion.
1: That's amazing. Appreciate you coming to the meetup. Good luck out there tomorrow.
3: Thank you. We had a great time. Thanks for organizing it.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I'm here with Coach Abby, who she's new on our coaching team, running the Boston Marathon tomorrow. I'll tell folks really quick, where you're from and what race you qualified at, because it's kind of a funny, uh, funny race.
0: All right. I'm from the Chicago area. And we've got a series of races called the BQ-2, and it is designed specifically to help people qualify. They have set up a really nice loop. It's just a little short of a 5K, so you do that loop eight times, yeah. plus add on a little bit. So you're just going round and round, but it's great support. I ran it last spring and uh, got a 330 qualifying time.
1: Did that get monotonous, like going around a loop that many times?
0: Not really. I think if it was more than eight times, it would. Uh, It's just enough that you've got that variety, but it's still nice to know exactly where the turns are, you know, exactly where the uphill and the downhill is. You don't have to spend a lot of mental energy thinking about it.
1: Perfect. Okay, here we go, here we go. We were at the MTA meetup with Kim and Steve from San Diego. You definitely came further than I did to be here. Kim, you have an interesting strategy because you just qualify every year at Boston for Boston. Am I right? Am I, am I explaining it right?
2: You are explaining it right. My system is that I only want to run one marathon a year. So <laughs> I only have one choice. Qualify yeah. at the race I want to run.
1: Uh. How about you, Steve? You have the same color jacket as Angie. So yeah. you have a different system or the same system?
3: No, I listen to Angie. She's got it figured out. Don't skimp on the, the cross training yeah, and the weights. You do. And you do all that stuff. Do all that stuff. Be like Kim. Stay focused. Yeah. She, was, she was too modest to, to mention this is her ninth uh, coming wow. up. Oh. and it's hard uh, in
1: San Diego it's been really hot this summer so yeah. but you got to get out and do the miles what do you like about this race that you keep coming back so many times
2: oh my gosh the crowds the, the support in Boston and the people of Boston are yeah. so fun it's it's the funnest race I've ever run. Um, even th- my first one was 2013 the year of the bomb and the people were so supportive yeah. and just came together so much as a city I was just so impressed so every year I've come back and the people are the reason it's, it's just a great race
1: Well said. All right, we are now outside of the restaurant. It was a great meetup, and I'm here with Angie and Coach Steve and Coach Nicole. So, first of all, Angie, how do you feel about tomorrow?
0: I'm excited. Um, I mean, just being in Boston, it's impossible not to be excited. Just seeing so many people walking around with their Boston jackets and colors and, you know, I don't know. It's called flexing. I guess everyone flexing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: so yeah, I mean, and just reading about the history and the the guide that they give you, it's like, oh wow! A couple times I kind of teared up just reading that. Yeah, it's just a special place to be. So I'm excited. I mean, physically, I'm not feeling the best. My hamstrings been bothering me, and. You Um, have what it
1: takes to run a marathon.
0: I know I do. (laughs) I know I have what it takes to get to the finish line. and I have to drag my leg behind me. So, um, no, I'm I'm just excited to be out there and soak up the environment and hopefully encourage people along the course and have a good time.
1: Exactly. All right, here with Coach Steve Walden. This is uh, Boston Marathon number what for you?
3: Uh, Number six. Why do you keep coming back? I don't know. It's just so close. Actually, no, it's not so close. (laughs) I live in California anymore. Uh, I mean, I come back because it's probably – the most impactful and special marathon in I mean I don't even yeah. want to say the. US. I want to say the world because of like mm. the importance you know it all started here 125 years ago. People run marathons just to run this marathon right yeah and there's there's something special in that and I feel like when you get the chance to run this marathon, I take it every time.
1: What race did you qualify at and what did you have to run to qualify?
3: Uh, I qualified at the 2020 Los Angeles Marathon, which was in March of 2020. So right before the pandemic, shut down all the marathons. I was surprised that
1: marathon even happened.
3: I was kind of nervous. I I, I drove down from the Bay Area because I didn't want to fly at that point. Um, So I I drove down, hopped in the expo, like I did a two-minute in and out, and uh, ran. I ran 255. Um, I needed a 305. Oh. Uh, I've since aged into the 40-year-old bracket, so All right. I, I had, a, club. had a 15-minute barrier or a 15-minute cushion, which got me in, thankfully. It's okay. getting tougher this year. So what are your uh, goals and hopes for tomorrow? Goals and hopes for tomorrow. The goal is to keep my ego in check. Uh, I'm not racing this tomorrow. I'm doing it for fun. My A goal is actually CIM in December. When you say keep your ego in check,
1: you're going to want to run faster than you probably should?
3: So the, the everyone beast. wants to run faster uh, than they probably should that goes for chalene flanagan who admitted doing this in uh, in london and she blew up so uh, you know even even the uh, she
1: walked and she's still finishing like 2, 235
3: or... <laughs> yeah she walked at 235 I walk that fast, everyone um and because like i was telling you and angie earlier on tuesday or something i was just getting so hyped up with coming back to boston for the first time in two years yeah and i was like no, screw it, go for gold, you know, push yourself, and I'm like, no, no, I'm like, focus on the goal, my goal is in December, you know, I need to be able to continue training next week, this is just a long run, Um, it's okay to get excited mentally, just don't get too excited physically. Awesome.
1: Coach Nicole, you were a big help with the meetup, just helping organize it. What did you think of the energy and like the, the vibe that you got from all the people?
2: Wow, it was so exciting, and it was so fun to be part of this community and just seeing the people come, and everyone's so excited about being here this weekend when yeah. we've had a, not a lot of live races, and it was just a joy to be in that room.
1: You ran the virtual Boston yesterday. No, Friday. Oh, Friday. Yeah, we drove here yesterday. That was like a marathon driving here because you rode with us. My
2: legs felt really good in the car yesterday, you know, after running a virtual marathon on Friday and being in a car for eight hours on Saturday. That was like that was a challenge in itself.
1: Well, I have a lot of errands for you to run this afternoon. So, (laughs) (laughs) No, um, you just did a virtual marathon just in your neighborhood and it got kind of boring. It sounded like, huh?
2: Yeah, it was brutal. I, I, think, uh, I think most of people are getting over these virtual runs. We're ready to run with people again. Where yeah. We want to do live races. And I think my next marathon will definitely be with, you know, maybe 20 or 30,000 people, but not tomorrow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to jump in the race and bandit.
2: <laughs> no. I, Just
1: don't tell people you're with us. I can't, I
2: can't give an MTA a bad name, so I have to represent in a That's good way. Right.
1: Well, it was really awesome to meet some people that listened to the podcast. Thanks again, everyone who came out to the MTA meetup. Hope your Boston Marathon went well.
0: So I think one thing that was really on display um, during race weekend was that just people are really excited to be there. They were happy to be doing an in-person race. And of course, they had achieved the big goal of being there, either qualifying or raising money for charity.
1: So Angie, when you qualified for Boston, what did you have to run?
0: My qualifying time is sub 340.
1: But you actually ran a 319.
0: Well, first I ran a 329, and then I bettered my finishing time with a 319.55. So I had a 20-minute cushion um, going into it.
1: This was the accumulation of quite a journey that you've been on since the last time that you ran Boston. And I know you wouldn't have gotten to the starting line without the help of uh, your nutrition coach.
0: That's right. I was able to work with Coach Natalie from MetPro. She's been a huge support and source of knowledge in helping me be able to lose unwanted fat and dial in my nutrition for running the best marathon that I can. And I really feel like my ability to PR in the marathon and the half marathon back in 2020 were a direct result of working with my MetPro coach. We also heard from Another listener named Kirsten, she said, a long time ago, I said, one day I'll lose enough weight that I won't be ashamed to run in my sports bra through Central Park. And yes, I know that I can do that at any weight. It's about how comfortable I would feel doing it. Well, today was that day. Thanks to MetPro, which I learned about on an MTA podcast, I have lost 23 pounds since May and I'm officially back in training with races booked for November and December. Thank you to this group for keeping me motivated through a very long 18 months and to MetPro coach Ryan for helping me feel better than I have in years.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing your success story with us, Kirsten. If anyone wants to see if MetPro is a good fit, you can get a free consultation call by going to metpro.co forward slash MTA. If you decide to work with them, tell them that we sent you, you'll get $500 off their concierge coaching. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA.
0: So on Sunday morning, I got my vaccine verification done and the necessary bracelet that you had to have to do anything that weekend. And I went to the expo to get my bib and race packet. It definitely seemed like the race expo was a lot smaller than normal. Pretty much only the race sponsors had booths. And there were not any crowds when we went. So I guess that was a good thing.
1: Yeah, you still have to exit through the gift shop, as they say. <laughs> of course. But Sam Adams is a sponsor of the race, and they were giving out free samples. So I'm glad I went with you, Angie.
0: <laughs> the official race jacket this year was blue and yellow. I did not buy a new one. I still have mine from 2015.
1: Which is pretty purple and orange
0: yes purple and orange (laughs) we also walked around the finish line area that morning took some pictures watched the preparations going on we saw race director dave mcgillivray from a distance
1: yeah we didn't get to say hi but you know he was kind of busy that weekend
0: (laughs) we'll cut him some slack
1: all right so the big day rolls around it is race morning time to find the bus to take you to hopkinton for the start of the boston marathon Okay, race morning, we're walking through Boston Common with thousands of other runners going toward the buses. How you feeling, Angie, you excited?
0: Yeah, definitely. It is exciting to be here. Kind of have those pre-marathon nerves that come out, I think, for all of us.
1: Okay, I'll be tracking you, so.
0: All right, sounds good.
1: See you at the end. You got this. Yes. Enjoy it, no matter how bad it sucks.
0: (laughs) That's right. The nice thing about the little bit later start that Boston has is that you don't have to get up super early. I was able to get up at my normal time, do my morning preparations. Trevor, you were kind enough to walk with me to the bus loading area in the Boston Commons. There were specific bus loading times depending on your bib color, and my loading time was at 8.15. So to get into that loading area, we had to show our wristbands, our bib, and have a mask on. And so I got on a bus and heading to the start line.
1: Well, at least that's what was supposed to happen, so... Let's talk about the bus debacle.
0: Yes. So the first sign that something might be off was that our bus driver suddenly pulls to the side of the interstate and the bus just sits there idling for a couple minutes as she's looking at her phone. And, you know, we're all kind of thinking... Is there a bus problem? Is she trying to like, you know, get some communication from her boss? Who knows? So we pull back on the road. Everything seems fine. We take a series of turns. And then we notice the same landmarks going by again. And we realize (laughs) we have made the same loop twice. And the bus driver has come up against a road closure. Because, of course, all the way along the route, they close roads to protect the course. And people are really starting to murmur on the bus now, like, the bus driver is lost so someone goes forward who has their phone and GPS and is trying to help the bus driver navigate to the right area. So the bus driver decides she needs to turn around and go the opposite direction and proceeds to make an extremely scary turnaround <laughs> where a parked car is almost hit. She drives up on the sidewalk and hits a post in front of a store. So it's just like this crash, you know, like the bus Man. rams into it.
1: You said it was like a really narrow street. And she's executing like an 80 point turn in this massive bus.
0: Yeah. I mean, I felt sorry for I wouldn't have been able to do it either. You know, so everyone's like, what is going on here? Like, you can't make this up. Mm. Runners on the morning of a marathon are not the most relaxed bunch. (laughs) So unfortunately, the area we have gotten into, there's really no way to get to the start line because of the road closures. And so we end up on this narrow side street that butts up to the, cl- the course, which is closed. And there is no way for her to turn the bus around on this road. It's too skinny. It's too skinny. And pretty much we all realized that we were going to have to get off the bus here and walk to the starting line. Um, so someone who knew the course thought that w- the spot that we were at was maybe a little more than a mile from the start line. So we all get off the bus. By this time, the driver is in tears, Mm. you know, completely distraught as one would be. Yeah, man. And so we are walking along the Boston Marathon course uphill to Hopkinton. As we see runners streaming by us, you know, we should be running with them at this point.
1: So you guys are walking the wrong way toward the start. (laughs) How far did the walk end up being?
0: It was a mile and a half to get to the start line. Oh, man. I really felt bad for people who were already nervous about their finishing time and had, you know, specific goals because the longer you wait to start, the warmer the day can get, you know, several factors Later, I learned that my bus wasn't the only one that got off course. There is a Boston Globe story that says, quote, several buses shuttling runners to Hopkinton did not make it to the designated drop-off spot near the Boston Marathon starting line, instead dumping people at cross streets blocked by the police about a mile and a half from the start. Police at the closed-off intersection said at least eight buses got lost on the way to the starting line. The dozens of runners unlucky enough to be stuck on the buses faced a mile and a half uphill climb before their races even began.
1: Those runners like Angie. (laughs) And there's nothing in the story about actually how or why this happened. All the bus companies are saying, well, we train all our people and we practice, so...
0: Everyone is saying it wasn't us.
1: (laughs) If you're wondering how in the world eight buses can get lost, we don't know yet.
0: (laughs) The good news is that no one was injured or harmed. Everyone, I think, made it to the start line eventually.
1: And you only had to walk a mile and a half.
0: Yeah, what's a mile and a half when you're going to run a marathon? (laughs) (laughs) So by the time I got to the start line, I had to pee really bad. Mm. I wasn't counting on that extra walk to the start line. So I found the bank of porta pots, stood in the course, of the long line, you know, held my nose, used the porta pot, <laughs> emptied my bladder, felt so much better. <laughs> and felt a lot of relief to be in that starting line shoot just because <laughs> I was wondering at some points if I would get there, yeah, between my hamstring and the bus getting lost.
1: Yeah. Tell us about your hamstring. We did mention this on the end of our last episode, how you've been dealing with the hamstring issue. You're not the only one, by the way, Des Linden competed in the race, but she was really hindered by a hamstring issue.
0: Yeah. My training cycle had been plagued by this hamstring issue that had developed a year earlier when I was doing my 50 mile race and I've done physical therapy and various things to rehab it. But I was really unsure of how my marathon experience would be. Um, I really had no idea what was going to happen out there, except that I wanted to give it my all and finish the race with a smile on my face. Um, My last marathon back in May had been very challenging. It resulted in me walking the second half, and I knew something similar might happen at Boston. So there was just a lot of uncertainty going into it. But I really wanted to stay mentally strong and just be open to possibility.
1: And your longest long run, building up to this, was only 15 miles, right? That's right. Okay, so I'm sure you're feeling a little intimidated knowing that you're going to run on a hilly course with... A cranky hamstring, but it must have been exciting, too, to uh, start the Boston Marathon. Was there a lot of hoopla at the start? Were there people cheering? Or?
0: There was mostly race officials at the start. There were a few spectators. So, yeah, I got going. Um, it's super exciting. In Hopkinton Common, it has that famous It All Starts Here sign. The excitement, of course, at a start line is palpable. It wasn't the normal starting corrals where everyone's packed in and you wait and wait and wait and your excitement and nerves start to build. It was more like people were excited, but then they were just starting according to when they were ready. And I think it made the course a lot less congested, which I liked a lot.
1: So then just follow the double blue line. That's right. All the way to Boston.
0: Well, the the road is not painted with a double blue line the whole entire time.
1: Never mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But portions of the race course are painted with a double blue line. So if you can find it, you follow it. And at the one mile mark of the race, there is the Spirit of the Marathon statue honoring Stelianos Kyrokides of Greece. And he's really a runner who exemplified strength in adversity. And so along that vein, I borrowed a mantra from one of our Academy members named Pat from Texas light feet strong legs tough mind and I added on to the mantra I added open heart and so that was kind of something I wanted to keep in mind and dwell on throughout this marathon that I didn't know it was going to happen
1: I like it light feet strong legs tough mind open heart Angie is making her way along the Boston course What happens next? You go through a lot of towns uh, as you progress toward Boston. Uh, What comes next?
0: That's right. Um, The course moves along Route 135. It next goes through Ashland, which features Marathon Park. I really felt grateful at this point to be out running the Boston course during the fall. The leaves were turning brilliant colors. There was tree cover that helped to shade the course. There was so much beauty to take in. I just really felt grateful to have a strong, healthy body and be out there. I remember when I ran Boston the first time in 2015, it was one of those cold and rainy years, and I was just kind of inwardly focused, just trying to survive Mm. the cold and the strenuous activity, and I really didn't notice much about the course. So this year, I really feel like the exact opposite thing happened. I was able to just take in a lot of it.
1: Did you get that feeling after a couple miles that just everything seemed right? You were doing exactly what you needed to do in the place where you needed to be at that moment in time?
0: I think there is kind of a sense of inevitability. It's like all you can do at that point is put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, maybe there's a lot of doubt and questioning in your mind, but really you can only control the next step. And so you just kind of have to stay in the moment as much as you can. The town of Framingham has the historic Rail Depot, and that's about at the 10K mark. And I don't know if it was my imagination, but it seemed like the crowd support was stronger than ever this year. And the energy and excitement from the spectators and the other runners was amazing.
1: Well, I was one of those spectators, uh, not in Framingham, but uh, Coach Nicole and I, as well as a listener to the podcast, Sherry Holloway, whose husband Wayne was running this year. The three of us left our hotel and went down to close to the finish line. We had this awesome spot for spectating. It was sort of like prime real estate. We could see the turn from when people turn on the Boylston Street, and then we can look the other way and we can see the finish line. And so in those early hours, wheelchair athletes were coming by. We saw Tatiana McFadden. You know, I would recognized her. And then we saw the elites run by. Uh, we saw other, you know, famous American runners go by, like Des Linden and Shalane Flanagan, Scott Fobble. So, yeah, it was cool. And then we waited for Angie to come, and we waited. For a long time. And we waited. <laughs>
0: Uh, Yeah, I really appreciate you guys being out there. And there was another MTA listener out on the course. I think it was shortly after the Newton Hills. I heard someone say, go MTA. And I looked in that direction and he said, go Angie. I think he recognized me. (laughs) So that was kind of cool. Another really cool part of the crowd support was a dog named Spencer He's a therapy dog. He's a staple along the Boston course, and he was back this year after surviving the removal of a major tumor. He's a gold retriever who holds a cheer flag in his mouth that says Boston Strong. Apparently, he just loves to carry things around in his mouth. So they put him to work on the Boston course. (laughs) I actually saw him out there, thought, oh, that's so cute. I didn't know the whole story at the time and later heard about it on Channel 5 in Boston. But you can just see that many people had gathered with family and friends to turn spectating into a fun group event we mentioned earlier the weather was a bit warmer than I liked and humid um, my shorts were dripping wet and my sweat didn't seem to evaporate
1: because of the humidity because
0: yeah the humidity was was up there so I was drinking water at every aid station which were located at mile intervals normally I don't drink that much water during a marathon but I just kind of felt like I needed it Um, and the aid stations were well organized pretty much Boston is a well-oiled machine Uh, they had sports drink first and then water so you could always count on the order of that and of course I fueled with UCAN bars and had really strong energy levels throughout the race so I was very thankful for that my stomach was feeling good in fact some people were out barbecuing and I was like "Mm, that smells really good
1: (laughs) Well, the good thing about those UCAN bars is they are gentle on the stomach. Also their gel, which is called UCAN Edge, and they have a drink mix, which is called UCAN Energy. Angie, it's great to hear that. The trusty UCAN bars worked for you at yet another marathon.
0: That's right, and I wasn't alone out there using UCAN. Former race car driver Danica Patrick completed her first marathon. This year, along with her sister, she finished in four hundred one twenty-one. She uses Ucan. She relied on the Ucan Edge, which is their gel for crash-free energy, and she carried Ucan electrolytes. I in like her. that
1: crash-free. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good plan. Words. She says a lot of other products I tested were filled with sugar and caused me to crash. That's the biggest difference I noticed with Ucan. There's no sugar and no crash, and it agrees with my stomach, which is so important.
1: So to avoid crashing. <laughs> <laughs> Check them out. They are a podcast sponsor of ours. You can get 20% off if you go to UCAN.co. Use the code Challenge to get 20% off at UCAN.co forward slash MTA.
0: I started having my normal upper hamstring pain before the halfway point and I really had no idea whether it was going to proceed to the full hamstring cramping and weakness like it's done before or not. I got to 13.1 miles in approximately an hour and 54 minutes and I allowed myself to briefly hope that I would finish sub 4.
1: We got close actually.
0: So when you look at my early splits for the race, you'll see a strategy that I don't recommend if you're aiming to run a strong marathon or a PR. My first mile was my fastest, and my slowest miles were miles 17 and 21. Kind of did the the go-out-strong-and-fade-significantly-in-the-second-half strategy.
1: Okay, so this was a strategy. You just weren't making a rookie mistake caught up in the excitement.
0: Right. Um, I knew that my hamstring was going to give me problems at some point in the race, so I wanted to get as far down the road as possible before that
1: started. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: One of the most famous parts of the course is located in the town of Wellesley around mile 14. It's known for the Scream Tunnel at Wellesley College. Um, You can hear the sound of it before you see it. It's really a good place to get fired up because the Newton Hills are coming. After Wellesley, there's a fast downhill section, which hopefully helps shake the legs out before the hills begin. And at this point in the course, I knew that I would be walking the uphill sections if I hoped to keep my hamstring as happy as possible. And I was also in uncharted territory because I hadn't been able to get past a 15-mile long run in my training.
1: So just like in previous years, the Wellesley ladies were out there bringing the energy, huh?
0: That's right. Then the infamous Newton Hills, which are a series of four hills that start shortly after mile 16 kick in. And I unabashedly walked all four of the Heartbreak Hills. And I wasn't the only one.
1: Wait, there's four of them?
0: Yes, there are. So once you get to mile 21, you have finally crested the last of Heartbreak Hill.
1: How did it feel in that moment?
0: You know, even if you're planning to walk a section of the Boston Marathon, it's hard to walk it because there's so much course support, people cheering and you can do it and cheering you on and you kind of feel slightly like a loser for walking. (laughs) Even though sometimes it's the very best decision that you can make.
1: Because everyone's like, don't walk. Come on, run. You got this because <laughs> they think you're like demoralized on the brink of quitting. But instead, this is, was a, an intentional walk break.
0: Exactly. So once you get past Heartbreak Hill, then you start getting closer to the Boston city limits. Only 10% of the course is actually run in Boston, 2.6 miles of the course. But when you get to mile 25, you can see the famous sit go sign. And there's such a sense of relief knowing that you're nearly there. Hmm. So soon afterward, the course turns right into Hereford Street and then left onto Boylston. The crowds aren't sparse along the marathon course, but once you get into Boylston, it reaches another level. And I was able to see and hear you and Coach Nicole out there, which was awesome. At this point, runners are literally doing whatever it takes to cross the finish line strong. I remember feeling just a welling of emotion, kind of like a tightness in my chest and throat. You know, you can just feel that emotion welling up in you. That marathon finish line is so palpable. There's excitement, there's relief. It's one of the most exciting finish lines in the world. And I was just so thankful to finish my 68th marathon in four hours, four minutes, and 38 seconds.
1: Yeah, when you ran by us, you had a huge smile on your face, you were looking strong. I don't think anybody finds it easy to walk Going down Boylston street at all right even if you wanted to because there's so much energy we saw people crying uh, we saw people doing fist pumps in the air to get the crowd worked up <laughs> there was a guy who came across and went down and then was crawling and you know of course everyone's just going nuts for this guy and then he gets up goes a little further goes down again keeps crawling people would come by uh pushing uh someone in a wheelchair people in uniform just spectacular display of humanity and so many emotions.
0: My whole race experience was was better than I expected because during a marathon you know that the pain is going to kick in at a certain point and I was even more worried because of my hamstring issue and so I was just really thankful that I was able to keep a positive frame of mind, have strong Mm -hmm. mantra and just really draw on the support of the crowds out there, the wonderful volunteers and just the amazing experience that Boston is.
1: It was fun to watch you go by, and I'm glad I was able to get your attention. We had several runners that we were tracking who, uh, when they ran by, uh, they had their headphones in, and they couldn't hear me yell, even though I do have a very loud voice. <laughs>
0: yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the winner side of things, Benson Kipruto and Diana Kipchogi completed a Kenyan sweep in the men's and women's divisions. Kipruto broke away from the lead pack as it turned into Beacon Street with about three miles to go and he broke the tape in two hours, nine minutes, and 51 seconds. Kip Yogi claimed the women's title and a $150,000 first prize, finishing in two hours, 24 minutes, and 45 seconds in her first world major marathon debut. The first place finisher from the U.S. was Colin Benny of Princeton, Massachusetts. He says it was his first Boston. He grew up roughly 30 miles from the Hopkinton starting line, and he watched his brothers complete a dozen marathons while he was in high school, although they never had a finish like he did on Monday, finishing in seventh place. And the first American woman was Nell Rojas in sixth place. The women's wheelchair winner was Manuela Schar of Switzerland in one hour, 35 minutes, and 21 seconds. Marcel Hoog of Switzerland won the men's wheelchair race despite making a wrong turn in the final mile. He finished the slightly detoured route just seven seconds off his course record. He has raced Boston eight times and has had five victories, but the wrong turn cost him a $50,000 course record bonus.
1: Man, that's got to hurt so bad.
0: He followed the lead vehicle instead of turning from Commonwealth Avenue onto Hereford Street. He says, the car went straight and I followed the car, but it's my fault. I should go right, but I followed the car. Hmm. You could see he was visibly chagrined after the race, you know, making a mistake like that. He also finished second in the Chicago Marathon the day before.
1: Still a profitable weekend, I imagine.
0: Yes, he finished in one hour, 18 minutes and 11 seconds.
1: There's some really good human interest stories that came out of Boston this year, like every year. And we want to run through some of these just to give you all some extra inspiration for your day. If you were watching it from home, You probably noticed that there was an American runner, C.J. Alberston, who led the marathon for more than half of the race.
0: That's right. It was his 28th birthday, and he went out with a bang. He is a self-proclaimed the best downhill runner in the world. He's a community college cross-country runner from California, and he took the lead early in the race on Monday and held on to it longer than he was expected to. He later said, I didn't realize how much downhill there actually was. He led the race by more than two minutes at some point. His lead was so big that the eventual men's winner admitted he wasn't even aware that Albertson, a first-time Boston runner, was even ahead of them. (laughs) Of course, the pack did eventually catch up with him and passed him a little after mile 20 at Heartbreak Hill. And he said he's not great at uphills. But he did stay close enough to catch up with the pack and finish 10th in the men's division, earning himself $5,500 in prize money. So happy birthday to him. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, that's still pretty good. Uh, Finished 10th, won $5,500, and everyone got to watch him on TV for a little (laughs) while.
0: (laughs) That's right. Among the finishers in the men's wheelchair division was Matt Brown. He's a former high school hockey player who was paralyzed by a hit on the ice 11 years ago when he was just 15 years old. Matt Brown is now a motivational speaker, author, and spinal cord injury advocate, and he was pushed by Luke Carr, a Boston firefighter and avid hockey fan who befriended Brown after the spinal cord injury in 2010, left him paralyzed from the neck down. And it was their 10th time participating in the marathon together. They first teamed up in 2012 to raise awareness of spinal cord injuries. A familiar face to cross the finish line on Boylston Street for many locals was former New England Patriots fullback James Devlin, the seven-year pro, all of them for the New England Patriots, related the experience of rushing the football in the NFL to running 26.2 miles. He says, as a fullback, you're willing to put your body through the wringer and just embrace the pain a little bit. And that's kind of what I did for the last four and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. This year was the first time ever that race organizers recognized and awarded prize money to the first para-athletes to run across the finish line. And one of those inaugural medals was taken by Massachusetts native Chaz Davis. Davis is legally blind and won the vision impairment division with a time of 2 hours, 46 minutes, and 52 seconds. And vision wasn't his only challenge on Monday. He told reporters afterwards that he had rolled a previously injured ankle early in the race, but he kept running in the hopes of inspiring others with disabilities. He said, quote, I was in such immense pain that I thought about just stopping right there. But number one, it's Boston. And number two, I want to set an example for everyone else out there who might think people with disabilities can't do it.
1: Yeah, good stuff.
0: You mentioned seeing Des Linden run by you on Boylston Street. She said that the race was a real suffer fest, but that the crowds helped carry her through a less than ideal race. Uh, She told reporters, it was a total suffer fest on the body, on the legs, on the mind. After mile 13, I wanted to step off a thousand times, but there was just too much energy on the course. And it got me through every single mile. She finished in 17th place with a time of 2 hours, 35 minutes, and 25 seconds. She says, I've been loved by Boston at my best, and now I've been loved by them at my worst. It's a great place to run. Well, if 235 is the worst, (laughs) after setting the world 50K record earlier this year and struggling with a hamstring issue, then she's a star in my book. For sure. CNN reporter Andrew Kaczynski ran the marathon on Monday in honor of his late daughter Francesca and many others. Kaczynski is a 31-year-old founder of the network's K-File investigative unit, and he raised more than $1.3 million to support the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute's infant brain tumor program after Francesca passed away last Christmas Eve at the age of just nine months from a rare and aggressive brain tumor. As part of his and his wife's effort to raise awareness, Kazansky decided to run the marathon and dedicate each mile to a child who has battled cancer. And I know there are many other stories out there of people who overcame amazing odds. I think of um, MTA listener Phil Shin, who we had on the podcast a while back, who came back from a liver transplant and ran the Boston Marathon strong. And also Rhonda Folds, who has been on the podcast before. Um, She's a runner with Parkinson's and she finished with her son this year.
1: Yeah, and congrats to Wayne, uh, Sherry's husband who finished in three hours, 31 minutes and 12 seconds. Coach Steve Walden on our team, averaged a 7.55 pace and finished in three twenty-seven twenty-two. Congrats to coach Abby as well from our team who finished in 351.56. And many of you out there listening who might have been at the Boston Marathon and finished, congrats. Isn't the medal cool this year? I mean, I think this is the biggest, brightest medal they've made so far. Got to be special for the 125th year.
0: That's right.
1: And this was for you, Angie, marathon number what?
0: Uh, 68.
1: So how were you feeling afterwards?
0: Well, afterwards, then you have the long walk back to your hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) We had agreed that I would just meet you in the hotel because I wasn't running with my phone, so I wouldn't have any way to contact you. Yeah. And I did a little extra wandering around because I'm not great with directions in cities. (laughs) So between my mile and a half walk in the morning after I got off the bus and the marathon and walking back to the hotel room, I would just really feel like I got some good miles on my legs and they were feeling tired, if I'm going to be honest.
1: <laughs> you got a lot of steps in that day.
0: Yes, I did.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for being a listener. If we can help you with your training, please reach out. We have a contact form on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Marathon Academy. Until next time, be safe out there. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life.